0: Thank you to our Sunday school workers who put so much time and effort into training our children. We appreciate you guys, all of you guys, we love you guys, and of course our children, we are so proud of you, and we pray for you all the time. Um, At this point we're going to um, have the scripture reading, I ask that you please stand with me. Oh, and Sunday school can be dismissed, thank you. All right, we're going to be, I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 9, verses 24 through 28. It says, For God has entered, not into holy places made made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful um, at Christmas time when we celebrate your first coming, God. We're so grateful that you came. And we are so anxious with anticipation that you're coming back again for us, Lord. We thank you for all that you have done for us. I pray for Pastor Kyle this morning as he shares your word, Lord. Give him wisdom, open our hearts, help us to hear exactly what you want to tell us. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all that you're doing. In your name, amen.
1: Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> so good to see everyone this morning, even though it's raining very hard. Um, sometimes people are a little afraid of the water, even though our bodies are made of 90% water. <laughs> thank you sunday school too that was such a great presentation we're excited to have hope um, be a part of our church um, and we've been excited to see her come home uh, for a long time now we've been anticipating that and um, it's really going to be great to to have that um, if you're new here too by the way the text of scripture is uh, listed on here is it's printed on the program that um, that we provided for you there's a place to take notes if you feel like doing that too it's wonderful to be together It's the body of Christ on the Lord's Day and to see all of your faces, um, new faces, um, familiar ones. Praise God for you all. Um, if you could just pray with me one more time. God, you are so good and we love you. God, we come to you um, knowing, God, that we are uh, wretched. Um, the God, that we're sinners. But we are loved. God, that you are gracious and you value us and you love us. God, we just thank you for that, God. We thank you, Lord, that we have value because you made us. God of creation made us, fashioned us in your image, Lord. And even though we've fallen, because you've done that, you value us. God, we just love you. We thank you, Lord, that no one here this morning is outside of the possibility of being the everlasting object of your favor and love and passion. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you may or may not be a Christian this morning. You may have come, someone may have invited you, or maybe you've been coming, but you're not a Christian yet, and you're just kind of seeking. And you've started to notice that Christians tend to throw around these words that no one else on the planet Earth uses. Like, have you been saved? What does that mean? Like, I guess once the car almost hit me. Um, born again that's even more peculiar um, <laughs> a lot of times when Christians use these the word born again and saved they're really saying the same thing once you start to get to understand the language now y- you might be skeptical about Christianity maybe even you are a Christian but you s- seem to think that this language might be a little bit spooky or bizarre I think some of us even Christians might even agree with you That sometimes the way we talk makes us look a little bit weird. Uh, What I think Christians are trying to say, though, especially with this word saved, are you saved? It's a a very um, mystical type of word to be using. But I think what we're trying to say is brought out in the last sentence of our text that we read this morning. That Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And he comes again to save us. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and he comes again to save us. Christians believe that Christ came, Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, to die for the sins of anyone who would believe in him, that his death was for their sin, for the many, quote-unquote, And upon faith in Christ, then, we're saved. We're saved from God's anger towards our sin, his punishment that he would have put on us, but instead he put it on Jesus Christ. So when Christians ask or say, I am saved, or are you saved? That's what they're referring to. And when we're born again is when we realize that this is true, that we want this, right? That's what it means. It's just the language that we use. It's the, the, the term born again is taken from John chapter 3. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That is given eyes to see. That's the illustration that Jesus Christ uses. For the past few weeks, we've been studying the person of Jesus Christ as a Christmas series called Christus Victor. And that means that Christ... Is the overcomer? He is the victor- the victorious one. He is the champion. And we began looking at the per- <coughs> excuse me at the promise of a savior preserved in the seed of humanity. That at the very beginning of time, when man fell and rebelled against God, God promised Eve that through her seed a savior would come. We continued our series by talking about who that seed would be. That seed was actually the Lord himself, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, not just a mere human child. And on Christmas Eve, if you were here on Christmas Eve, we looked at the actual birth, the introduction of the hero, the victorious one, to to conquer sin and death for us when he was born that faithful morning um, or night, whatever it was, in Bethlehem. And the Sunday following, after we discussed the birth, we looked at the um we looked at the present ministry of Christ. Christ died and resurrected. What's he doing now? That after the resurrection, he ascended to heaven and as the God man, ruler of creation, he is the high priest, bridegroom, shepherd and more of his people. That Christ continues to have a ministry and faithfully loves and continues to present his blood for his people to save us once and for all. Okay? The Christ promised to Eve, slain before the foundation of the world, came to die for sinners like you, intercedes at this moment in heaven before the judge of all creation for sinners like us. And this same Christ is coming again. He is coming again. And it's that coming again that is the subject of our sermon this morning. According to to our text... He came as a babe, as a child, to deal with our sin, but he comes again to save us. And there's that word again, save. He comes again to save us. Now, isn't that interesting? If you're a Christian, you are not yet saved completely and finally. So if you go up to someone and you say, I am saved, it's not entirely true. You are in the the process of being saved and you have the assurance of finally being saved at the coming of Christ. That's a little bit more accurate. I understand it might be a little clumsy to say that like that to somebody though. (coughs) You are the recipient now... If you are a child of God, of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Ephesians chapter 1, that very simply means that when you come to faith in Christ, you become the object of all of God's favor. All of his joy, all of his character is available to you. That moment that you repent of your sin and believe in Christ. But our salvation... Is not complete when he's come with all our fullness in Christ be revealed amen believers we're not to hope even for our own death when we enter into God God's presence in heaven the Bible doesn't tell us to hope for that it tells us to hope for the coming again of Christ that Christ just as he left is coming back. It's the grand theme we direct our hearts and attentions to, and attention to this morning. Now there's probably no other doctrine in all the Bible taught more than this, that Christ is coming back. Now I know, like, let me just kind of pause for a second, for a moment. I also know that this, if you're not a Christian, might seem a little fantastic. It might seem a little out there, a little cuckoo, right? Oh, Jesus is coming back. Okay. <clears throat> just try to hear this and understand that the basic Christian worldview is that there is a God, right? And that God sees us in our sin and has pity on us in our sin and sends his son to save us. And that same son is going to restore this entire creation to its original intent when he comes again. If you think that might sound a little bizarre, I just ask that you be patient with me because we need to approach scripture either as the word of God or not. And if it's the word of God, then that changes everything, doesn't it? And let me just kind of add as a caveat, I think most of our ideas about the origin of humanity is a little kooky. (laughs) I don't think you're going to find a religion or a scientific worldview that doesn't seem a little bit, huh? that what happened are you sure right like it all it's all a stretch for us I think but if God himself has revealed himself to us in Scripture then there is no doubt there is no question the grand theme of the second coming of Christ is what we would turn our hopes to tonight there's probably no other doctrine like I said uh, taught more frequently in Scripture than the second coming of Christ now, the atoning work of Christ, that's the reconciling of God to man. That, God, that our relationship to God was one of enmity because of our sin. It was hostile. So we were reconciled to God. Made, our relationships um, were brought peace through the work of Christ upon our faith in Christ. Now, that's the heart of the gospel. But the goal of the gospel... <coughs> is the coming of Christ. It's the climax of the whole story of scripture and therefore it's the climax of all of human history. All of human history is awaiting this magnificent return that Jesus Christ, the king and creator of all things is coming back for his earth and for people. It's not a fairy tale, it's not a story, it's true, it's real. It's the great end the angels and even creation anticipate. Everything in scripture, every doctrine, every story, every plot and purpose is pointing to that day when Christ returns to the same earth that he was murdered on. On average, one out of every 30 verses in scripture concerns the coming of Jesus Christ. Enoch, the seventh-born child of Adam himself, said, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his angels. Friends, the earth tremble, trembles, the trees clap their hands, the oceans roar, the creatures and mountains bow down, and every created thing in heaven and earth with one voice cries out, he's coming, he's coming. Of the coming of Christ, we see first of all then, number one, that the whole Bible is full of the silent rumble of our approaching king. That he is coming. Every word you read, every doctrine and theme, it all serves the purpose of bringing back the Lord Jesus Christ to reclaim this earth that was lost to the first man, Adam, that will be regained by the second man, Jesus Christ, the greater man. John the Baptist prepares the way, if you guys know who John the Baptist is, he prepared the way at the first coming of Jesus Christ, and he mentions not his first coming when he speaks, but the second when he announces of Christ that his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. These are the words of John the Baptist. He did not speak of the cross, but he spoke of the magnificent return of Christ, the goal of the cross. Though he came to die in his first, excuse me, even Christ himself, when speaking of his first mission, and that his first mission was to die on the cross for us, always directs his hearers to the second mission. Though he came to die in the first advent, do you remember that scene in scripture when he peeled back his humanity to his apostles and he showed them his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration? And he said, this is the goal, boys. This is what we're headed towards. And you remember when they saw this sight, they said, can we not stay on this mountain and build three tabernacles and worship you here forever? When Christ stood before his judges. You remember this scene? Christ is unjustly accused of crimes he didn't commit. And he stands before his judges. And you know what he says to them? He doesn't say to them, I'm going to die on a cross for your sins soon. Believe in God. He doesn't say that. Believe in my death and resurrection. He says, I tell you, from now on, (coughs) I need to stop drinking coffee before I go to before i come here (laughs) any of that herbal essences stuff okay he says i tell you from now on you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming again in the clouds of glory he says you're about to kill me friends but you know what i got something coming for you because you'll see the Son of Man coming again with clouds of glory. In other words, you might think you got me. You might think you had your day when you crucified me. But there's a day when I'll be coming with clouds. And that seems kind of mysterious if you don't know scripture and if you're kind of new to things. What does it mean coming with clouds? Satan said in the Old Testament, I will, I will make my throne above the seats of the clouds. A cloud is an illustration for the presence of God himself. What Jesus was saying when he would return with the clouds of glory, he was saying, you're about to kill God himself, the God-man. But one day, I'm coming back for this earth. I'm coming back. Just before his execution, he takes his followers to an upper room and tells them that he is about to embark upon the heavenly city to prepare a place for them. This is John chapter 14. And that when it's complete, he would come again and receive them to himself. That's the testimony of the Gospels. That Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming again. Luke records in Acts, This same Jesus will come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The three major sections of the book of Romans all climax in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter one to be in the constant attitude of waiting for the Lord's return. Every chapter in first and second Thessalonians ends with a declaration that Christ is coming again. Writing to Timothy, Paul laces both of these letters together with the great theme that Christ will return. Titus calls the coming again of Christ the blessed hope. What would the blessed hope, what's that mean? The expectation, the blessed hope, the expectation that we have that brings the joy of God to our hearts when we wait for Him. You want the joy of God? Wait for Christ. Expect His return. The Apostle James declares that the Lord is coming. Both Peter and John fly the banner in their letters, the Lord is coming. Jude makes the whole Bible a testimony of the second coming of the king. And the book of Revelation, how many people have read that one? That's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) The book of Revelation might as well be called the book of the second advent since its grand theme from first to last chapter is the appearing and presence of the coming King Jesus Christ. And you know what? The very last word that heaven speaks to earth, to us, is simply this. Behold, I am coming quickly. What's the last thing that God said to us before the canon of scripture was closed and he decides to no longer speak to us through prophets and apostles? The very last words uttered from Christ himself to man is, Look, that's what the word behold means. Look, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. If you're careful enough to listen, you'll hear in all the pages of scripture the footsteps of the Messiah, the coming Prince, the Christus Victor. Oh, friends, friends, What are you waiting for this morning? What is your hope in? Of the coming of Christ we see second number two. All fundamental Bible doctrine. Everything that we learn in scripture is bound up to the second coming. To neglect the second coming of Christ is to bring disaster on every other thing that we learn in the Bible. It is bound up to the doctrine of the resurrection of our bodies. The victory over death that we have, that we are promised, that we shall not die. The change from corruption to incorruption, that is, our bodies right now are cursed with sin, even as Christians, but they will no longer be corrupted to death and decay and sin. From mortality to immortality. The resurrection of the church and all people are completely and only at the coming of Jesus Christ. It's bound up with the doctrine of divine sonship. The Bible talks about believers in Christ being the children of God. That you are adopted children of God. Before Christ, before faith in Christ, you are a son of Satan. A child of this world. But when you put faith in Christ, you become adopted into the family of the living God. First John 3 2 says, Beloved, now we're the sons of God. We're the the children of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be, what the sons of God look like. What does this mean? But we know this, that when he appears, we will when he appears, we will be like him, because we'll see him as he is. It's bound up with the doctrine of deliverance of creation, of the creation from all bondage. Oh, friend, hold your ear to the breast of Mother Earth and hear her heart in travail. All of the earth groans. What am I talking about? The trees, the seas, the skies, everything, Scripture says, is caught under the curse of sin. Romans chapter 8 teaches this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing. For the revelation of the sons of God, that means the second coming of Christ, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom, the glory of the children of God. Now this all sounds very religious, doesn't it? The whole creation stretches her neck in anticipation of the coming king. No longer will the earth quake and shake or the skies drop its hurricanes and tornadoes and kill its masses through its tsunamis. No longer will the earth and all of creation decay and die. It will be made new and renewed at the coming and glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. The way it was always intended to be until sin entered this world. Amen? It's bound up with the doctrine of deliverance of Satan. Oh, this is a great one. Because at the coming of Christ, Satan has absolutely no power anymore. When Jesus comes, no longer will this ancient foe be allowed even one ounce of temptation, lies, or in human opposition. Oh, you, friend, you think you are tempted by Satan now. It will be no more on that day the church's arch enemy and the chief criminal against all of mankind, who once roamed this whole earth, seeking whom he may devour all in his path, he will be consumed and bound at the presence of the coming king, for the prince will crush his head. Amen? Oh, praise God for that day where sin reigns no more and Satan is bound for a thousand years. The coming of Christ is bound up with every exhortation to Christian living. As well, The coming of Christ is bound up with every exhortation to Christian living. That is, when God calls us to holiness, when God calls the believer to be like him, when God calls the believer to live on mission, it's all bound up in the second coming of Christ. When the church is exhorted to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus in communion... You know, when we take the the blood and the the, the bread and the body, right? The bread's the body, the blood represents the blood. When we do this, we proclaim his coming. The terminus ad quem, the goal of our Christian sojourn. The reason we take communion is because we're remembering that he's coming back. When we're exhorted to holy living, we're told, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That's grow you in Christ, right? Grow you in likeness to him sanctify you completely and may your spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. He says, why be blameless? Because Christ is coming. When Paul encourages those who mourn their dead, he reminds us simply, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You think that you die? Oh friends, we die just for a moment, just for a blink. And then when he comes, he raises us at the trump of God. And those of you who are alive when he returns, get caught up, you don't die, but you get caught up with him in heaven. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another, with these words comfort one another with these words oh are we so foolish are we so foolish and i am such a fool friends because i know how often i forget this and how often i don't anticipate this and i let the world and my anxieties and all the different conundrums of life interrupt what is the hope of eternal life that christ is coming but are we so blind as to see even those grit, excuse me, are we so foolish to continue in our sin? To hopelessly despair over the minutia of life's disappointments when we know that we have this promise? Are we so blind? to see why even those great and weighty trials of life should never, not even for a second or a moment, cast a shadow of doubt over the victorious, overcoming, conquering, and imminent return of the coming prince. Amen? No problem is that big. Paul does not say that we are comforted in our trial by some hope of God providing for us now. When he closes a door, he opens a window. Actually, no, that doesn't always work out, right? Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Sometimes he closes a door and then closes the window too. <laughs> you didn't get into that school. It's because God is God wants you to get into a better school, right? That's kind of how we ho- that's the that's how we comfort comfort one another with those, those are the words we comfort another with. Oh, that relationship didn't work out. It's okay. God's saving you for someone better. friend that is not the encouragement that scripture tells us to encourage each other with you might not get healed you might lose all your money you might never get another job friend you might always be single the bible does not promise you that he will do any of those things for you he does promise that he's coming back hope in that You want to know why? Because even if he promised you a man or a woman, it's still better to hope in that. Because, to be quite honest, we can't get the richness or the fullness of pleasure or joy from those things. We just can't get it. The risen Christ announces in his last revelation to the church, we have a single guarantee, he comes quickly. For the Lord himself will descend from the heavens with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive will be caught up together and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Friends, what are you waiting for? A job, peace in your marriage? What are you waiting for? Wait for Christ, he's coming. He's coming. The only comfort you will ever find in life's trials is the comfort of the coming king. I think our trouble oftentimes in life simply is that we're just not waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for something else. We're waiting for his creation. We're waiting for accomplishment. We're waiting for attainment. We're waiting for entertainment. Fantasy, recognition, affirmation, you name it. Those are the things that we end up waiting for. We wait for everything but him who holds the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand and measures the mountains on his scales. Wouldn't you rather wait for him? Perhaps we could all identify the source of our own undoing by identifying the thing that we wait for most, right? Scripture tells us of grave and horrible things to come. I'll make no, make no mistake, the Bible's message is this. That in the end, there will be great apostasies. Great falling away from faith in Christ. That men will heap up treasures for themselves. That lawful wages will be withheld from workers. That people's gods will be their emotions, their appetite, whatever it is that they're passionate about, that, that's their God. Even Christ himself speaks with the authority of heaven. This is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, God in the flesh, speaking ex cathedra, which the Pope has no right to, but Jesus Christ has every right to. He speaks these things. That at the end of human history, there will be wars and rumors of wars. That all will be under the spell of Satan. And one pastor notes this, when Christ would give comfort, in the darkness which his words seem to inspire, you see what he's saying? So often the words of Christ don't bring light, they bring, dark, oh, they bring gloom and despair. That's going to happen? So he says when Christ would give comfort in the darkness which his words inspire, you know what he does? He does so by assuring us that in the deepest hour of the earth's spiritual midnight, he himself will come as the light of the world. That light without which the earth abides forever in darkness. Oh, are you this morning in the deepest hour of your spiritual midnight? Is that you? Well, remember this. He comes quickly. He comes quickly. And he will appear as the light of your world. Oh, friends, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Number three, he is to come a definite second time. A definite second time. Some people suppose that, as they teach scripture, that Christ has already come. That he comes like in the joys of life and days lived well, that Jesus returns in that. That he comes as he provides for us. That's how he returns. That is a, That this appearing is like somehow spiritual or mystical or it's mediated through some other object, right? But as our text reads in Hebrews, he shall come a second time. He, the person of Christ, will return. And doesn't Matthew 24 make this plain? Imagine this terrifying verse. Meditate on it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory oh, there is great tribulation forecast in scripture. From the beginning to the end, but especially as the end, this tribulation grows more dramatic and more extreme, and when it doesn't seem like it can get any worse, the Lord Jesus Christ, with a trumpet blast, returns. He returns actually and physically. Friends, this could not have happened already. When has the sun been darkened? When have the stars fallen from heaven? When has the world seen the return of Christ with their eyes on the clouds of heaven? No such things have ever happened in the course of human history. The coming of Christ is a future and it is actual and physical appearing of Jesus. The coming of Christ is not a thousand and one things. It is a real return for the Lord himself will return, will descend from heaven. This same Jesus, the book of Acts, like you saw him leave, will also return declares the angels, we will see, imagine this, your eyes and your eye sockets. The light will blast through, reflecting the person of Christ. You'll see him with your eyes. You'll hear his voice with your ears. You'll know what the son of Mary looks like. You'll get to see him. The earth will hold him up again. In the dust of the earth that makes up his body will rule the earth. Oh, friends, what are you waiting for? Number four, the coming of Christ is imminent. It's imminent. That means it can happen at any moment. At any moment, Christ could come. Watch, therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour... ...when the Son of Man comes. What's going to happen? Am I going to get that job gone? The, the, the day that you thought you were, like, you were going to get, be told you were going to get it or not, didn't even come. And it won't matter. It's at any moment, the, it is clear, the apostles themselves, when Christ resurrected and ascended to heaven... ...expected him to come back within their lifetime, before they died... That at any turn, the voice of the archangel could announce and the trumpet could blast at any moment. Wouldn't If you really believe this, friends, wouldn't that do something to you? Wouldn't that mean something in your life? Wouldn't your desires and your emotions and your anxieties and your fears kind of get put into perspective? Wouldn't they? That we who are alive might not taste death but get caught up with Christ in heaven in the air. If you're a Christian, this means something very simple. Don't expect death. Expect Christ to come. You say, well, everybody dies. That's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says expect that you're going to die, and then you, know, you know, it says expect death, expect the coming of Christ. We might debate over whether or not the Bible's true, but one thing is certain, that no one has the right to ever take issue with, and it's the clear message of scripture that Christ at any moment could come. The Bible says that. You might say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, but the Bible still says that. So if you do believe the Bible, Embrace that. That's a promise. To demand or expect ten more seconds on your life, or ten more days, or ten more years, or ten thousand more years between us and his appearing is to contradict him and to make him a liar. He could come at any moment. Are you ready? Friends, are you ready? Watch, therefore, for you know not the day or the hour when the king will come. Oh, friends, what are you waiting for? Fifth and last... The coming of Christ is our blessed hope. It is the hope of the church. Titus 2:13. Look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see that our blessed hope as the church is the coming of Christ. It's what we look to. We've noted that we're not to prepare for death already to put Or to hope for heaven after death. But we are to hope for the coming of Christ. To look, to watch, to wait for the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is the end. Imagine this. Just let this swirl around. You know like when you have good ice cream and you're just kind of swirling it around in your mouth. right? (laughs) Swirl this around in your mind. Okay? The coming of the Lord is the end to a long and often arduous pilgrimage of the church the end because then the lion will lie with the lamb the child will put his hand into the ass then and not be hurt and not and not die from it that's really I'm gonna stop this <laughs> I'm gonna use the can you turn the effects off of this okay. The child is gonna put his hand in the ass den. we just had a friend um, who lost their four-year-old uh, boy to a fire in Westport I was just an old friend oh friends when he comes no more no more fires the prince of darkness is bound for a thousand years and the Sun reigns supreme it means final triumph over sin you know that thing that you just, you know, you just have trouble overcoming. By the way, you can overcome it now. Right? Praise God for that. You are not bound to any sin. But but friends, you will never sin again when he comes. You will always, your heart will always be captivated by the beauty of Christ and your life will always be found in submission to him. No more temptation, no more struggle. It means the presence of the King. It means the realization of all the churches hoped for. It means that all the world will be brought to the feet of Christ crucified, risen, and glorified. And it means that the knowledge of the Lord will stretch from one end of the earth to the other. Watch, for He comes quickly at any time. Christ's coming is the hope for Israel the nation of Israel when they see the B- the bible is very clear about this when Israel sees the messiah coming in glory at this coming they will all believe on him and all Israel will be saved in romans chapter 9 the king of Israel the king of david will regather his people and his church will reign with him and wor- and all people will worship the king in jerusalem All the nations of the world will watch from their homes and worship the king as they look to his earthly home in Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. When Christ returns, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Oh, he's coming again. And this coming is a hope for world peace, for a world at peace. You, you might think, you know, federalists are going to bring peace, Tea Parties or Republicans or Democrats or whatever, whatever, whatever political persuasion. And I, th- and I think that, that as we're wise and as we follow Christ, we can create a safer and more peaceful world. But it's only at the coming of Christ where the hostility is abolished once and for all. Ben Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson just cannot do that. They will not usher into this world, but only Jesus Christ can. He will overturn all opposition, for when he comes, out of his mouth comes a sharp and two-edged sword, and with the word from his mouth alone do all people surrender to him. All peoples and all nations will be gathered together. That's the verse that we just read and brought into the worship of Christ the King. Swords are turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Gun control is his control. Right? Mankind will look and wonder at the marvelous majesty of him who for so long we have scorned. In short, let me quote Only by the coming of Christ will the failure of the first man, Adam, be undone, the subtlety of Satan be matched, sin be uprooted, death be abolished, redemption be complete, paradise regained, and the whole earth filled with the glory of God. Amen? What are you waiting for, friend? What do you delight in? constantly consider this that Christ at any moment could return would it change what you work for what you give to what the cries of your heart are and why consider this so that our hearts that why consider that Christ could come at any moment so that our hearts as the church would not be seduced by this world with her entertainments and her relationships and all it offers. That's not to say we never participate in anything that's in the world. But our hearts wouldn't be seduced by it. That we would grow to look for death, not to look for death and gloom of the grave, but for his coming. That there's something more imminent than death. And that's the coming of Christ. Christ. That at any moment the master could come, and friend, if you don't know Christ, you will either be the object of his grace or his wrath. The door of his grace could close forever. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, because he comes quickly. He is coming quickly. Believe in Jesus Christ this moment, so that when he comes, you'll be his bride and not his enemy. Amen? Oh, and for us, the Christian, consider that he could come at any moment so that we would be on constant alert to proclaim the gospel to those who either will be consumed by his presence or received by his presence. That we wouldn't be found sleeping on the breast of hell when he returns. Oh, we can't meditate on this too much. It has a way of purging us, right? Focusing us. Driving us to live on his mission and not on our mission. And I want to close with one more thought from a wise pastor. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll pray. If today Jesus Christ is the supreme actuality of my life. If today this written word is to me the symphony of heaven and of earth. If today my faith is stronger and my hope is brighter, if today in the face of the world's pessimism and weakness and weariness and woe and brokenness, if I find myself still filled with an unconquerable optimism, with an unhesitating faith in God's ultimate and infinite triumph. It is because simply this, I believe that at any moment I might hear his voice, like the voice of a trumpet taking with me, talking with me and saying, come up. And that in an instance, in the twinkling of an eye, I may be in his presence. Oh, and when we're in his presence, we won't lay down our armor and be at rest. But we will be dressed in the master's likeness. And when he descends, as he goes forth to take his world again, we will be with him, taking it as he will, by creation's undisputed right, by blood redemption, and by kingly conquest. God, I pray, Lord. That as we disperse, as we go home, we wouldn't forget that you're coming 10 minutes after we leave. That we wouldn't flick on some TV show and forget to live in anticipation that you are returning. God, purge us with that thought. Heal us with it. Give us your power to live in that victory now. And I pray, Lord, that we would live on your mission and not our own. That we wouldn't comfort ourselves and each other with the hope of earthly possession. But God, that we would be comforted by this and this only. That you come quickly. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning... 2,000 years ago, he died for your sins, people like you, he died for people, sinners like you. And if you put faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, that he died the penalty that you deserved, that God's wrath was poured on him instead of you, for by grace you have been saved, it is a gift of God and not of works that he alone bears the burden of all the punishment. Repent of your sin this, mor- this moment, believe in Jesus Christ. And friends, when he has come, he will call you up and death shall be no more. And this moment you are forever secure in the mighty hand of God your maker. If that's you, friend, I wanna ask you, To be brave and to tell me that you've done that don't let two seconds go by after church closes without coming up to me and telling me so that I can pray with you and encourage you God for the rest of us who know Christ how often we get distracted and fall asleep that I pray that you'd wake us up that we would be diligent to live for that day when Christ comes again. God, we love you and we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.